Hey Q, so uh, the Rockets are playing the Warriors, yet you're here with us. That just shows how much you love Plan A, and we do appreciate that. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> having to devote my spiritual energy somewhere else. Although, you know what? We're doing you a favor. I mean, you know it's over, right? <laughs> Why you have to kick me when I'm down? <laughs> Yo, I watched that game on Sunday. I was at a bar with my friend, and it was just... Uh, it, it was... <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was tragic. I wanted to cry. Junk, the, did you watch the the game or any of the games of the NBA playoffs? No, I have I have not. I've caught like a couple minutes. I've been so busy. Oh, really? Okay. Yet you do a lot of sports, right? You are a martial artist. Yeah, I play. I mean, I grew up playing basketball. I grew up playing soccer. Played lacrosse. Yeah, like I I played a, I play a lot of sports. I'm a generally physically active person. Uh, I just don't watch it on TV. See, that's the better way to go: play sports and not watch it. Whereas I'm more like watch sports, but not play it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I actually would have been better served as a, like if I was more serious about athletics, I think I would have been well served as a kid to watch because like one, you can learn by watching, you see how guys at the top level are going about playing their game and what kind of things they're looking for. It gives you inspiration. Q, do you play a lot of sports? I guess it depends depends on what sports means but like growing up as a kid I always played like basketball soccer football and stuff outside with all the kids in the neighborhood um I played a little bit of tennis in high school um but I guess once I got to college I started like weightlifting and um like working out more seriously and I guess now I just recently took up rock climbing as a hobby specifically oh, bouldering. Nice. I like you know being active and you know especially if it's like outdoors and stuff like that that's a big that's a big plus for me so we've been talking a lot about sports, kind of broy. I am going to see the ballet in in a month. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of the ballet. I saw Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet a while ago, and yeah, that was really good. What what do you, what do you appreciate? What do you enjoy about watching ballet? I mean, the music most of all. Like the music's beautiful. Like like there's Romeo and Juliet. There's gorgeous music in it. Um, I saw the Sleeping Beauty when I was in Russia many years ago. Finally, gonna see Swan Lake. I love the music. But yeah, I mean, like the the dancing's pretty good. I don't really understand it, but they they look good. And <laughs> but it's mainly the music for me. Right. Do you guys like ballet? Um, I can't say I've been exposed to it too much. Uh, I see it like in the same vein as opera. Yo yo, um, it's way better than opera. <laughs> I hate opera. <laughs> <laughs> like to me, that's to me, it's like all like one giant bougie monolith. I hey, don't to, what's that supposed uh, to mean? Parse it apart. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just can't really tell it apart, you know what I mean? I was just not exposed to that kind of stuff, like, growing up. Uh, yeah, I hate opera. I've, I've given it several chances, um, and it's just, <laughs> like, there's maybe, like, one or two songs that really stand out, like, the arias that everybody knows, but most of the other part, like, you don't know what's going on, because, like, the... I mean, they do have sometimes have translations, but it's just... Yeah, I don't like the singing style. I... Yeah, I actually saw the uh, Barber of Seville this past weekend with my girlfriend. We were at, like, an outdoor theater... Had like a picnic and it was it was pretty neat because they brought in the opera theater from the city and they had like a translation little thing above the stage. Oh, okay. So you know it was like a it was like a whole thing. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I know the overture. I don't know any songs from it. Yeah, it took me a second to even realize what language it was in, so uh, <laughs> I was a little bit out of my Italian, mind. I assume. Yeah, yeah. Italian. Because it's by Rossini, right? So I... what's interesting is I actually watched a documentary. Uh, a friend of mine is uh, in a school of journalism, and so her class was making. A bunch of documentaries and and showing them at the end of the year and somebody uh local to the bay did a documentary on um i guess you could say street performers but specifically 
there's people that I don't know if you've ever seen them, but on BART, sometimes like when you're going through the bridge or going under the tunnel, you're kind of captive for like 20 minutes. So people will go onto the train, start playing music, and they'll dance right there. It was following the story of one particular crew here in the Bay. And one of those guys, he said that ballet was actually one of his favorite and uh, biggest influences to his dancing style. Escape from Plan A. You're from France originally, but you're taking classes here in Seoul. How did you end up here? Uh, I ended up here because I wanted firstly to to learn Korean. So I came to Korea, I took Korean classes, I'm still taking them. Uh, and then I saw that in here it was open to foreigners. And what do you think is, it is about K-pop that makes it so popular everywhere? I think they are really hardworking, really Really nice. You can see on the towers the spans practicing and practicing and uh, they have some, such great performances. Hi, welcome to Escape from Plan A, Plan A Magazine's podcast. I'll be your host for tonight, Oxford Condo. And tonight I'm joined here by Q. Hello. And Jong. Hey. So yeah, this is a this is a new crew. I don't think the three of us have ever potted together, so this is pretty exciting, huh? Yeah, we're breaking new ground today. And tonight we're going to talk about, in light of, uh, BTS just performed on, was it yesterday or was it Sunday? Pretty sure it was Sunday. Okay, yeah, at the Billboard Music Awards. So in light of that, we just want to talk about K-pop and Asian pop culture in general and how it affects Asian Americans. And actually, uh, Christina wrote a really good article about BTS and the kind of like recent history of K-pop on Planet Magazine. We'll be including that in the reference resources in the podcast description. Q, you're you're a pretty big fan of K-pop, right? And you saw the performance. What'd you think of it? <laughs> I'm a I'm an okay fan of K-pop. Just recently got into the foray, maybe like a year, year and a half ago. But the performance was very good. Um, I was pretty excited to see how. I guess intense the camera work would be because this is something that a lot of people have complained about before with BTS performing in America is that the camera work that is done by like American production companies is usually really bad. I think um, for the performance on Sunday. Wait, wait, by bad, what do you mean? As in like it cuts way too many times to the audience and doesn't show enough of the actual performance. Um, The camera work is like flying all over the place and doesn't actually show, you know, the performers in like a square frame, for example. Um. They said something like a good almost like minute of like this, like five minutes or whatever the performance was just shots of the audience, which is like pretty frustrating when you're trying to see, you know, performers perform. Um, but overall, I thought I thought it was great. Even when they did pan to the audience, they showed, you know, how diverse the audience was, um, all the different types of people who were there to see BTS perform, just like how loud they were. Um, it was it was fantastic. Couldn't complain. Yeah, I've heard actually two sides of that argument. One says that they do that to show how like the, the people who like the cuts say that it's to show how strong the support is and um you know how dedicated and diverse their fans are but the naysayers say uh, they do that to show that oh the only people who like these are like silly little girls and they're not respecting the artistry of of the band uh Jung, did you did you see the performance no I, I didn't see the performance but i have some thoughts on the the camera stuff um does BTS choreograph, do they design their choreograph around camera camera shots? Sometimes they do. Like sometimes there's in, like very deliberate movements by them to like stare into a camera, stuff like that. Oh, okay. Well, I remember hearing 
Beyonce during Beyonce's tour or one of her recent performances. I forget which one, but um, I had heard that she set up her choreo choreography with the cameras in mind and actually her movements across the stage, how her supporting dancers and everything else was set up. They were actually intended to be viewed through the lens of the camera. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the intro song that that we just use is "Spring Day" by BTS, and I mean I just like the song in general. But I, what's fascinating about it is if you watch the music video, it's it doesn't make a ton of sense. But the I think one of the leading fan theories is that it's actually about the Sewol ferry disaster. In case you don't know, it, it was this horrific accident which resulted in like almost three hundred school children yeah. who died on a field trip. And and I, I think this is like one of the things that makes BTS quite popular is that. Like, like the fans, they can read into these music videos different meanings. And I mean, I, I don't know too many BTS songs, but they do say that they, more so than the than the typical like, K-pop act, they do address a lot of these very common issues for young people. Yeah. So, I mean, like the best example that comes to my mind is their music video for Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It, like, towards the near the end i think Jin starts walking up to a statue that has like wings and just like kisses it there's like a bunch of like very visual um and very artistic i guess allusions to like philosophy and uh like you know statues and other art forms where they're clearly trying to establish some kind of message or theme but it's a little unclear what those themes are which is why these you know theories and uh i guess fan rumors kind of proliferate so much is that bts kind of gives hints about the kind of message that they want to convey but don't give enough for us to know definitively what those ideas are so it, it leaves a lot of room for speculation for fans to be like oh this is kind of the message that they're going for oh they're referencing like thus spoke uh, zarathustra or something like that like that that's a pretty common i guess part of listening to bts and specifically watching their music yeah because in the spring day music video there's actually a reference to the uh, ursula Le Guin short story the ones who walk away from omelas and it's like you know like like for any pop group no matter what nation that's that's a pretty interesting reference to drop that's a lot of not one that a lot of people i think would pick up on and you know i respect that too yeah very yeah. impressive Actually, the, the way I got introduced to BTS was a, a friend of mine who's, she's white, uh, but she's a journalist, but she's like a music journalist. She once, she like told me like, oh, I'm going to a concert. It's a, it's a K-pop group. And I was like, who is it? It's like BTS. But like, uh, I, I like K-pop, but it's mainly um, confined to when I was living in Korea, which is kind of like 2010 to 2012. So I'm like a relic of that age. So like BTS was not <laughs> on my radar. And there's like various other groups that, uh, sound like bts in terms of their name like i think bap bap that's a group there's like b block or something it's like bts i don't know who this is uh but then after she said that i looked them up I'm like wow they're like i had no idea this was so popular and this was like over a year ago and obviously now they're everywhere so that's how i was introduced to them um i was put on them i want to say two years ago so my sophomore year in college um my sister uh was kind of going through a bit of a how you phase and put me on to their music video dope which i think is the sun like the sidebar of r slash k-pop is like one of the the music videos that you have to show to a new fan in order to just like, uh, immediately convert them to the how you um so the second i was shown it and watched like the choreography i was like yo this is actually like pretty dope i'm gonna 
dive into this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so mo- the, the reason that I wanted to have this pod in specifically is because if you ever go into like an Asian American discussion, like in a forum, especially if it's if it's a bunch of guys, there will inevitably be somebody who asks, guys, is like K-pop and just like Asian pop culture in general good for our image? Because a lot of it is not exactly conforming to traditionally American ideals of masculinity. You see a lot of like dyed hair. Um, it's not all about, you know, being jacked up. Although, you know, there are certain groups that were all about kind of like being jacked up like 2 p.m for example was really popular when i was in korea that uh, that was their kind of thing um but it, it's, it's a question you constantly see over and over again so i thought you know we're like three asian american dudes we can talk about this and and what we think about it so that that's something i wanted to address because i think obviously the the female k-pop groups are also very hardworking and very talented and we shouldn't just ignore them but they do like if they were ever to come into our consciousness they do fall under a more, I think, traditional uh, view of kind of Asian-ness. Yeah, they're all, like, cute, they're all pretty, and they'll all do, like, girly dances. That's, like, pretty expected, right? That's, like, of, of like, performative femininity. Uh, but when you see a male K-pop group, not only do they uh, bring certain things like, uh, I mean, some might call it androgyny or whatever they bring that, but it also brings in the idea of just, like, Asian guys being on stage and desirable which i think shocks the american <laughs> consciousness in a different way that say a female k-pop group uh-huh. wouldn't so totally. uh so that, that i think we're going to focus on the male groups it's not to disrespect the female groups but just for this because we're guys and this is a question we see often come up in asian american online spaces mm-hmm. so there are certain guys who will see something like bts and be like oh why are they so you know, why are they so skinny? Why are they so flamboyant? And, and they'll think that it's, it's uh, like somehow negative for our image in, in America. And what do you guys think about that? I think there's a certain strength in being able to subvert traditional masculine gender norms. For example, I think we've talked a little bit about um, Aziz Ansari when he first premiered in like Master of None and the kind of success that he was achieving uh, was both like an artistic success, but also kind of uh, one that was requiring like social power, social importance, because specifically, you know, he didn't look the part of an individual who's extremely, you know, masculine or, uh, you know, had a lot of muscle or anything like that, yet was still able to, I guess, be sexual and be normal and conduct like the, I guess, normal life course of an Asian or an Asian American individual who was, you know, male, but didn't have to almost like perform it. And I think um, K-pop, and specifically, K-pop boy groups have that kind of advantage when it comes to being able to perform their masculinity in a very non-traditional, very non-hegemonic way. Um, and this isn't exclusive to pop music and Korean pop music at all. Uh, if you look at like hip-hop, for example, um, there are artists like Lil Uzi Vert and Young Thug who will like wear dresses and wear skirts and yet still are embraced wholeheartedly by the industry against a very traditionally hyper-masculine backdrop. So K-pop being able to, I guess, be able to subvert masculinity, I think actually makes it more interesting and actually draws in more fans. Because, you know, the fangirls who love BTS and other boy groups are like rabid and these you know, K-pop idols don't necessarily have to be hyper-masculine in, a- in order to be able to obtain those kinds of Yeah, things. that's a good point, Q. And, like, from a purely selfish point of view, I've never been someone who's, like, really liked being too macho or anything. <laughs> I mean, I like sports, but, uh, you know, there's, like, other <laughs> things that I don't particularly care for that 
pertain to like traditional masculinity. So like from a purely selfish point of view, if this becomes more desirable, hey, I'm you know I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, I think the guys that are really concerned about how boy bands are going to affect uh, their image and are upset that the the boy bands aren't presenting in their opinion a masculine enough image i think that's that's really just on them that's on them because they have convinced themselves that this particular type of masculinity is the only type of masculinity that'll work or they've convinced themselves that every woman in the world is going to be into it and i mean neither one of those is true i think this is great because it gives even for selfish reasons it gives people uh, opportunity. It gives them room to explore and figure out what works better for them. It's about time, honestly. You know, like we we complain about these guys. You know, we call them douchebags, we call them bros, whatever. We complain about it all the time, but we don't give guys any opportunity to we or I'm sorry, we don't give them any alternative mm-hmm. or you know an alt an opportunity to do something different and not be ridiculed or suffer some other kind of like some bullshit because of it you know yeah jong uh see i think those guys what their main insecurity is that they themselves have invested wholeheartedly perhaps in this traditional american idea of masculinity only to find out that nobody really wants it especially if it's like a knockoff version of it's like an asian guy trying to be white like a white masculinity performance like Nobody really wants mm-hmm. that. So then they <laughs> right. see that, hey, wait a minute. Actually, what people really like are these like BTS guys who don't even bother to learn English. I think that's one of the great things about them. <laughs> and they're just completely showcasing their Koreanness. And that's what people actually right. respect more than you trying to be like like a jacked up polo wearing Asian frat guy. Uh, I know no disrespect to Asian frats, but it just like it kind of trying to emulate the traditional white white maleness i think they might that's what they were trying to do and then they realize that it has no like value in in society or at least not not as much as even these supposed so-called like uh you know like effeminate gonminam that's like korean for like translates to flower boy it just means like a pretty boy in korean Uh, so i think that's what's really eating away at these guys yeah, you know, I mean, I would, I don't know if any of them are listening, but I would say, dude, you would be dealing with a different struggle because ultimately the insecurity that you harbor, it's not about like the American standards versus Korean standards or whatnot. Like, even in Korean society, there are young men out there that are like, I have to act a certain way to get the hot girls that are hanging out in Gangnam. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. I mean, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but I think it doesn't matter what you choose. It just matters that you're like, that's really what you're about. If somebody, if if you're putting on a front, that mask is going to come down eventually and you're not going to be happy for it. The person you tricked isn't going to be happy for it. Uh, it's just not going to work out. Do you? Although I think one thing we should be careful about is this, uh, is this uh, fake dichotomy between what we call like western masculinity and eastern masculinity because i do think that sometimes it gets too caricaturized because i mean like one of the persistent stereotypes of asian guys in the west is that we're like hyper patriarchal and everything uh but then that's that doesn't quite jive with this image of these like almost like gender fluid you know you look at someone like g-dragon um and you know like 
that's pretty much the opposite of the traditional uh, caricature of the Asian man who is all like, or, you know, like, you woman, stay in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm man, you know, things like that. So uh, I do think we do have to be careful that there there is a lot of overlap um, between them. And I think, and if you look at other types of, of masculinities, uh, whether it's in like other countries like Afri- in Africa or Europe, it, you know, it's not like the Amer- American, white American definition of masculinity is some kind of universal. It is a quite an odd thing, I think. Um, I mean, if you ever look at uh, Americans, they're always like calling Europeans like gay or something mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. there is, yeah, the, Americans are fucked up. They're they're weird. <laughs> We're brutes. We're savages. Very insecure. Yeah. yeah. I remember in high school, uh, just like the the evolution of just like Korean pop culture and specifically, I remember uh, a lot of because uh, a lot of my friends in uh, high school were Filipino. They would, and at that time, I didn't really know too much about korean pop culture i do remember my parents renting vhs tapes from the local korean grocery store i remember watching um so it, it, this is a very popular early 2000s korean drama if you guys know it it's called um autumn fairy tale or autumn in my heart do you guys know that one no oh, okay uh so this one uh starred uh wanbin wanbin's a very popular korean actor him uh song Hye-kyo. song is very another popular actress and song Seung-hun, he's a he's another again very this is like them in their very early stages of the career. And this is like the quintessential Korean drama. It has everything. It has it has cancer, terminal illness, uh, <laughs> like pseudo incest because like the 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 brother falls in love with the adopted sister, mixed up oh my God. parentage. Wow. Like she thinks she's the like the biological child, but turns out they were like swapped at birth. So I remember watching things like that, but I wasn't too much into it. But I remember in high school, some of my Filipino friends would come up to me and they would ask me about, hey, do you watch Full House? Do you guys remember that? Um, this is an older drama again. Q, you're a bit younger, so you probably won't remember it, but this starred a Rain. You know, Rain was very, uh, you know, very popular singer, actor, and, and Song Hye-kyo, her again. I actually watched it with my parents. Oh, really? Okay. I like that. It was, it's I like, watched Full House with my parents, yeah. Like, this was before Korean dramas got really high budget and sophisticated, so it has kind of like this uh, charmingly, like, lo-fi feel, <laughs> but I liked it a lot at the time. Um, <laughs> but I think at that time, though, I think Korean pop culture was popular, but mainly in the context of Asia. It was like pan-Asian. You would have, you know, Taiwanese, mm-hmm. Filipi- Filipino, Vietnamese people all into it. And then, like, flash forward, like, 10 years from now, it's gone, like, truly global, in which you'll have fans from, like, South America or Europe or America or Africa all into it. So I think that's that's the evolution I've seen just, just in the past decade. You go on YouTube and you've got all sorts of people, you know, filming those reaction videos and things like that. I don't know so much about a like I was never that interested into K dramas, uh, so I don't. I wouldn't say I followed that, but definitely Korean hip hop and rap. I tried to. I remember like in the '90s when I would go to Korea over the summer. Um, I would, you know, I was kind of curious and I would try and check out what's out there. And I remember at the time I wasn't impressed. It was like it just sounded really old. It sounded like they were, like they were still drawing inspiration from what they had access to at the time, and that definitely wasn't the cutting edge, so to speak. You know, so you know that's in the '90s, and I would say that I kind of only recently started really diving deep and checking out what the scene's like now. And I, I mean, I'm blown away. Like the it's they're not they're not even close to behind they're they're pushing the they're pushing the they're on the leading edge like they're doing more interesting things 
Uh, they're willing to explore more. I honestly don't know where the hell the line is between, say, rap and pop. Or I mean, I, I wouldn't really consider anything I've heard classic hip hop. Um, one thing, though, that I think uh, that just comes to mind is uh, I remember when I was a kid, everyone would ask me, like, are you Chinese? Then they'd ask me, are you Japanese? And apparently I had enough of that. So I talked to my mom and I was like, hey, mom, why does everyone know about the Chinese and Japanese but don't know about Koreans? Um, and this is, you know, it's it's strange to think back on that now because now it almost feels like everyone assumes that you're Korean uh, before anything else. <laughs> That's right. Like yeah. at least white people do. And um, <laughs> I'm just saying, and it's a trip. It's a trip to kind of experience uh, the two, just the opposite ends of that, you know? And then like, I think like Filipinos, Filipino food, like it kind of starts with food, right? So Filipino food is yeah, starting to get sure. popular and starting to come in. You have yeah, like, God, I love like Filipino bamboo. food. Huh? Yeah, me too. You have rappers <laughs> like uh, Bamboo, uh, Ruby Ibarra recently has gotten hella hot. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, they're coming onto this. They've been on the scene, but they're starting to get recognition. Yeah, actually, that brings up a good point that I want to talk about because I think um, there is this. Uh, we may not like to admit it, but I think as specifically as Koreans, but I think the Asians in general, when we see other people who are not Asians uh, really get into our pop culture, it does have a sense of validation. Um, I think we don't like to say it out loud because it, it sounds like we're dependent. But I think when you grow up, uh, especially uh, if you are a little bit older and you you grew up at a time when, when like the image of Asia was was like, kind of like poorer and always more following kind of like America and the West rather than kind of contributing much. Um, when, when we grew up so much of our lives thinking of that to see, uh, you know, like it, last summer I went to a G-Dragon concert at Barclays Center and, and this was like a corporate event. So I, we got really great seats and just like taking a, <laughs> like taking a look at, wow, this K-pop star sold out uh, a big like arena, you know, in America and you saw like all sorts of people there and it, it's like, and yeah, I mean, you're always happy to see it's it's not, you know, just Asians, but you're also happy to see that, you know what, Asian Americans have somebody like him to to relate to. Cause like when I was growing up, I didn't have that. And to see these, yeah. these young people to see that. And it, I think it does make you happy. But the, the question I want to ask is, because like, you you start to see this sometimes, like I, I think it's a little exaggerated, but people will say things like, "Ah, oh, these like weebs or like like Koreabus, they they disgust me. They um, you know, they're fetishizing us and they're trying to appropriate us." Uh, what do you guys think about that? When when like like Koreans or Asians uh, say that about non Asians who really like the like the pop music or the dramas or whatever. I mean, my opinion is that it's all about the sincerity. Like, if if they're genuinely into it, man, like, that's great. That's one more person that I get to share it with. Um, if they're just, like, hopping on the bandwagon because it's cool or whatever, like, man, every, every you know, movement or trend or whatever you want to call it, they're all going to have people like that. So, I don't know. I think it's generally a good thing that people are into it. And uh, if you don't want to deal with those people or, like, you're turned off, buy it then just don't just don't associate with them but um i think more popularity is better yeah q i want to ask you specifically because you're you're a bit younger you're like 
Gen Z scum. So <laughs> uh, I think you might have grown up at a time when like all this was easily accessible via YouTube and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, w- what's your take on this? Um, I think it's fine. I grew up in a relatively, not even relatively, extremely diverse area. So everyone kind of had access to everyone else's culture. And it wasn't really a problem for people to just kind of, you know, hang out with other racial groups. Every friend group was very diverse. And the kind of like media that was consumed was also like pretty all over the place. Like my friend group in high school probably uh, had like one person from each major racial group and you know like we all like watched anime and like played FIFA and it was like all over the place um, but in terms of having to interact with people who are I guess hyper obsessed with the culture I think it's like Jong said it has to come from a place of actual sincere appreciation they have to actually like you know care about it but I think there's also a component too where you can't necessarily separate the culture or the content um, from the individuals themselves. So, for example, like talking in terms of weeaboos, like a lot of weeaboos are strictly about like anime and um, I guess like going to these conventions, but not being able to necessarily care so much about like Japanese culture and like the Japanese people. I think that there's a genuine appreciation as well for the individuals who are actually producing that kind of content and that kind of uh, material, then it is fine. Um, but also, obviously, there's like a line between appreciation and fetishization i can't say i've had too much exposure or uh, interactions with people who i guess like hyperinflated my value because i was asian or anything like that um but yeah there's definitely a line that you have to draw with those kinds of people where it's like it's just okay this is appreciation or like oh this is just like a little creepy yeah i mean sometimes on the internet i see these Asian guys are crying tears about being fetishized. Okay, I'm gonna be totally honest here. I think those guys are trying to humble brag. They're like trying to say, oh, woe is me. I have like all these like white girls or black girls or Latino girls. They all like want me so badly. It's so hard to be me. Like, come on. <laughs> I think I'm running um, out of space on my phone to save phone numbers. I, I think, um, at least in the short term, um, especially as like, Asian guys. I mean, even if we are like fetishized, I mean, what what's really the worst that could happen? We're not. We're not like. Like, I mean, I think Asian women when they get fetishized, they face a lot more dangers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And stuff like. But Asian guys, what what's the worst? Like a really awkward girl who, like, uh, you know, says kind of vaguely racist stuff to us. Like, I mean, get over it. Like, you don't have to turn that into, <laughs> into uh, some kind of, uh, you know, moralistic crusade. I think. I mean, have you guys ever had experience with with those types of girls? I can't say I have other than like back in, I guess, like a couple years ago, maybe when I was still like doing online dating and using those apps, it would be really weird to see, uh, I guess, like profiles of especially white girls who are all dressed up in like weeb costumes and have in their description, like, I only like Asian guys. And I like whenever I saw that, I couldn't tell if I should be uh, flattered or I should be like <laughs> uh, very concerned for their well-being. Uh, it just like bordered on me being very just confused uh it was a little bit like uncanny valley like they were stepping into territory that clearly they didn't know what to do with and to be frank i didn't know what to do with that either i don't know if i've gotten much really like i'm not no one's gonna make mistake me for a k-pop star like i don't (laughs) dress pretty i don't you know uh i don't have that kind of style so i think anybody that any any girl that was trying to look for you know a k-pop boyfriend probably wasn't targeting me <laughs> um i i have been you know i 
uh, I guess, like singled out for being an Asian guy or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say. And that was an interesting experience. Like, I wasn't mad at it. You know, it's always nice to get positive attention. <laughs> um, but I also kind of didn't really know where to go with it. I think part of it was like, it was just so new. I, I was just kind of like processing it. And then I'll, and then also there was a part of it that was like, this feels kind of weird. Just like going on about my cheekbones. <laughs> and like, oh, whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's too much. I, I didn't, you know, I was like, I don't really, I don't know what to do about that. Um and so it's kind of it was just kind of awkward, but yeah, like you said, there's like not much danger out of it. I just yeah, there was um uh, several maybe it was la- last summer I forgot I was um I was on this date with this South Asian girl, and she she really liked East Asian guys, and she told me that, and then later she texted me and was like, oh I'm so sorry I I didn't realize like this was really offensive to you because of yellow fever and things, and, and I texted her back like. That's really only for the women. Like for the guys, yeah. it doesn't it's a little bit unidirectional. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not just like it doesn't go the same way uh, for for us. So, yeah, I, I think um, brought that story up. Yeah, yeah, I make mean, I've like, generally speaking, uh, uh, when I'm dating, especially on the uh, on the apps, if it's a non-Asian person, there's like generally a good chance that she has some interest in Asian pop culture. Mm-hmm. But I've never had an experience hmm. in which I felt so dehumanized that I was offended by it. It might be a little bit awkward, but, you know, just let it brush off, you know. Because, like, I mean, let's face it, we've we've had it kind of bad for a while. So this is like, we, we can we can take the other end for, for a little bit. There's like a certain window that we can take it before we, we're like, okay, enough's right. enough. Yeah, right. we're like... <laughs> like, as soon as we start getting murdered, <laughs> oh, like, oh, no, yeah. right? Like... Just straight up harassed, assaulted. Yeah, like, we have it pretty good. It's definitely not not that bad. <laughs> There's actually an interesting thing I because I was trying to look up you know K-pop fans and things, and there was this thing uh, Jimmy Kimmel did. He was like talking about BTS, and he interviewed a couple of fans in the uh, fan group and uh, in the audience, and both of them were actually Asian American, and I thought that was that was pretty cool that you'd have like young Asian American girls who were growing up in a culture in which I guess their their idols like in my when I was that age it, they all would have been you know it, the people they were looked up to were like NSYNC or Backstreet Boys but to them it's like BTS I thought that was really cool yeah I mean that made sense too in the context of the recent performance at the Billboard uh, Music Awards whenever they panned to the audience members there was like always a decent chance that there were like Asian American girls too so it's very cool to see that like that was like a very natural, I guess, transition or a natural like idolization of people that like look at look like you and I guess are attractive. So makes sense. Is it surprising because you guys didn't expect it? Uh it's just surprising because I think just from the way I grew up, like if you were young and you were looking up to pop idols or rock stars or movie stars, they were always white. And you would have like one or two Asian Americans that were kinda like the one token or whatever, but they were never so universally popular that they would be the consensus person to look up to. Uh, but now it's um, apparently a different Asian age. Americans? Hmm? Yeah, among Asian you Americans, mean, yeah. I see, I see. You're, so you're kind of like, you're saying that as you grew up, uh, there was sort of like a local context within which, you know, there were certain like top, most popular artists or whatnot, and that... um 
here you're seeing more of a, a universal context. I don't know if that makes sense, but like there's like there's like your your neighborhood, there's like the king of your neighborhood and then there's the king of the city kind of deal. True. So okay, sense. the way I would put it is if if there's still like the 90s and and uh, you know, you're a young Asian American, you might have to qualify at saying who's your like favorite pop star. You would say, "Well, my favorite Asian pop star is someone like Boa or Jay Chu or or people who were popular back then, and and my favorite pop star, just like unqualified, is like NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. Whereas now it's just like my favorite pop star is BTS, no qualification. I see what you I see yeah. what you mean. That's awesome. Um. Okay, so we've talked like the good things about K-pop. I think we also have to address the the negative things. And and one thing I am worried about is there's a lot of national pride wrapped up with K-pop because I think for so long uh, Korea. It's been a poor country. It was a dictatorship until like pretty much until like the early 90s. And and for a long time, it was like the exporter of like cheap goods. You know, like everyone jokes about like the, the Hyundai Pony, you know, like one of the worst cars ever made um, <laughs> or like war brides or or just like um, things like that. And, and now it's actually exporting kind of like the, I guess the highest end of, of like an elite culture, which is your pop culture. And to have so many foreign fans demand it, I think now creates it, it creates almost a sense that it's your national duty if you are aspiring to be one of these people to to uh, strive for it. it. Like if even if you're poorly compensated, even if you have, if you have to put up with like sexual harassment or even rape or any any of that, it's it's kind of your duty to put up with it so that you can. Uh, for for the betterment of the country, and and I know I don't know the details too much, but I know there's a very close relationship that the the state has with these industries. There's like all sorts of subsidies that go to the uh, to them to help them, you know, fund all these the internet internationalization of these acts. And I'm just worried that this is like we all know it's it's a very abusive industry. Like I mean, Chongyan from Shiny just recently committed suicide. Just is a terrible event. And the worst thing about it is that it's not even that surprising because it's like it's the latest of of a lot of these things that happen. And I I do worry that this kind of a bl- this ravenous demand, increasingly ravenous demand from foreigners is just going to uh, prevent any kind of reform in the industries. I think the question of whether K-pop, K-pop becoming popular, more popular, is a good thing, straight out. Where the negative, uh, I guess, consequences of that, like the industry, that that part of the industry is something that needs to be fixed, whether or not K-pop becomes more popular. Like even if K-pop doesn't become popular, that part of the industry needs to get fixed. I think, and like kind of how I feel about it is, all right, if this is, if they are performing a national duty, if they are representing our country and making sacrifices for our country, then they should be treated as as people who do that, right? They should be treated well. You don't you shouldn't be mistreating people who are carrying out a national duty. I also think that there are like certain built-in defense mechanisms that might come into play if K-pop does become as popular as we think it might. Um so to kind of bring it back to BTS for a little bit, they're uh, managed by Big Hit Entertainment, and um, Big Hit really stands out as a small company. Um, trainees generally know the management like pretty well, and they have a very strong relationship with the people who are actually managing them. And 
Um, it works in a way that like other Korean companies like YG and SM tend to see their trainees more as like exports or like individuals that they can kind of uh, put under a lot of pressure, which, you know, Big Hit and other small companies tend to do also. Um, but I guess what I've been told is that Big Hit kind of sees their entire uh, conglomerate as more of like a family over a business. And the way that that's reflected is in terms of like creative control. Um, in terms of being able to create the kind of content that you want, which is arguably what has led to so much of BTS's success. Um, but also, the Big Hit then therefore has an incentive to, I guess, quote-unquote, care about BTS, giving time off for like injuries, um, sometimes like canceling venues and concerts um, to let them take care of like mental health issues that might happen. Um, so there are certain like incentives for companies to kind of uh, take better care of their trainees and to take better care of the people that I guess are devoting themselves to like a national pride. And when we think about the context in which BTS is operating and the reason why they're largely successful and their ability to penetrate the mainstream in America was directly because of their fans acknowledging that creative control and rewarding them for like the large and beautiful kinds of content that they're making. Um, which directly reflected into, you know, the retweets and likes that were necessary for them to win the Billboard Top Social Award that led them to, you know, get all those media tours and uh, get their first performance at the AMAs and things like that. So there's a direct relationship between the way that the fans appreciate, um, you know, Big Kid taking care of the trainees well and then that kind of being reflected in success again. So it's almost like a recursive relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, my hope is that as these acts grow popular they will become bigger than their managers and their management companies to the point where maybe not them but at least the next generation can start uh, exercising more control mm -hmm. over their own just like act and and uh, lives and everything because i think if you look at say the evolution of american pop music you look at like the 50s and 60s say the motown um groups they were also very heavily uh, it was a very top-down process you had people like churning out songs for them you had like people rotating in and out of groups you had like king makers who who exercised this kind of like, iron fist control on them but eventually uh we're we're at the point now in american pop music where pretty much we don't have even groups anymore we have all have individuals just because like uh like uh, groups tend to be uh, it has like a, like a svengali like figure controlling everything but now that's become uh unsustainable so you have uh, like like singular acts of, uh, of like superhuman <laughs> who who do it so uh, my hope with korean pop music is that this is this is a stage in which it will eventually evolve into uh more independent acts uh so that they're not so um beholden to yeah because a, a lot of the like the trainees who who are pretty much taken when they're preteens and their their lives are controlled they don't have childhoods they have very rigorous contracts that pay them nothing. And I mean, we only look at the successes. There are like tons of groups that fail. And for them, they almost have nothing to show for it. You have no education. You have no real skills. And I don't know what happens to them. And even the successful ones might commit suicide. So it's, yeah. The, in, the, uh, in the Korean hip-hop slice of the pie, they, uh, they, there's a lot of independent hip -hop, Korean hip-hop artists, I think. But I, you know, I kind of think I'm I'm actually I'm sitting here wondering to myself is there something different about pop that kind of requires maybe larger upfront capital or anything like that I don't really see it so I mean I I guess on one hand I think like if they can do it the pop stars can too um or or maybe one of the successful ones now 
is able to set some kind of groundwork uh, and make it easier for future pop stars. I don't know. But yeah, that would be good to see. I think that's something we're seeing in muse in the music industry uh, at large. All right. Uh, so for our final segment, I want to get your guys's uh, recommendations on things about all Asian pop culture that you like. Um. So I guess I don't have too many recommendations. Jung's kind of the head here over like Asian hip hop specifically. But I guess uh one piece of I guess media that I think a lot of people should really know a lot more about is the three body problem, uh, which is, I guess, mm. one of the f- biggest pieces of like sino futurism that I think is on the potential of becoming mainstream right now. The premise is basically like, what if another country is the first to reach um, a life form that is not ours? There's like an entire genre of science fiction that, you know, isn't really acknowledged that exists in, you know, China and other places. So it's really interesting to kind of break away from our traditional molds of science fiction and, you know, look at it from a Chinese point of view. Um, and then I think uh, other K-pop recommendations, BTS is obviously a great step in, but there are like plenty of other groups uh, that are also pretty awesome too, like GOT7. 101 I know is pretty big right now. And then obviously we can't neglect girl groups. So there's plenty of those twice. Um, Blackpink, all highly recommend. Okay. I'll just go now uh, to give Jong some time. Um, okay. So my favorite Korean, I guess, musical act is IU. I, I really love her. And uh, the thing yeah. I love about her is I remember when I was in Korea in like 2010, 2011. And back then she was, she had this song that was really popular at the time. It's called Good Day. Um, and it's, it's a very cutesy song. Um, it's all about like some guy she likes and everything. But I mean, the thing I like about her is that she, I think, pre- writes a lot of her own songs, if not all of them. Mm. And the thing is, I actually learned a lot about Korean culture through her. For instance, uh, she had this song called Sogyakdong, which uh, she performed with um, the guy who got into that Stanford scandal. Um, oh, Tableau. Tableau, yeah, Tableau. Yeah. She did this song with Tableau, and it's a great song in general. But if you w- listen to the lyrics and you watch the music video, it's actually about a lot of the oppressive things that the dictatorship did, I think, in the 70s and 80s. So just by watching that music video, I learned a lot of just about Korean history, which I may not have been aware of, if not for that. And she also has released two albums in which she covers a lot of older pop songs from the like 80s, I think, primarily, but maybe even the like 70s and 90s. And just by listening to that, I get access to Korean popular music from decades past. So she she's like, she's like, my ideal woman <laughs> so i really like her i would recommend her she you know writes a lot of great music um dramas i really recommend uh, it's called the reply series i really like reply 1988 do you guys know of this yeah the reply series, series is awesome yeah i know that series yeah it's so good so it it's actually it starts with reply 1997 which is all about this girl and she's a huge fan of the big pop acts of the time which are hot and god which are these competing uh, like boy band groups that one's very good there's also reply 1994 which i liked more than 1997 mainly because the characters were more a little bit older they were in college mm-hmm. uh so i i mm-hmm. was able to relate to that a little bit more but um that one revolves around uh like fandom of like soteji who and the boys yeah, which yeah. were a very popular <laughs> group at the time uh, but my favorite was 1988 uh reply 1988 because well, 1988 was the year I was born. So I was looked at this series as maybe kind of the world I would have known had I been born in Korea and not in Canada. And it's, it's, it's a, and what I like about the series, it, it's not very dramatic in terms of like typical Korean drama tropes, like 
you know, terminal illnesses, mistaken identities and stuff. It's really just a story of ordinary people. And um, this one, um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be totally honest. The last episode, I was just like crying so much. <laughs> uh, and after the episode ended, I, I called my mom. <laughs> I was like, and, and um, you know, I, I talk to my parents regularly, but usually I don't call them. I mean, I, I will be honest, because um, they always call me, but I called my mom and I was, because I, I, I watched this sh- show and, and it just reminded me of, of the world they would have come from. I re- uh, so I, lo- I love that drama. So those are those are my recommendations. Okay, I guess I, these are in no particular order. Um, they're just kind of artists that uh, have come up. I probably featured them on uh, Fuck Yeah Fridays already. But uh, I like, I've been listening to a lot of Geary Boy, Ashby, Nada. Ashby and Nada, I think we're on Unpretty Rap Star, uh, two female artists. Kilograms, I've been feeling him a lot. Groovy Room is great. People probably already know some of these. Uh, Epic High for sure, like people know. Sea Jam. Juno Flow is probably actually one of my favorite artists because um, his lyricism in English and Korean is is really good. Uh, DPR Live, Nafla, Black Nut. I'm trying to skip ones that people probably already know. PH1, uh, Hash Swan. John, you should probably just say them anyway. Let's not assume that people... Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, Be Free, Occasion, PH1. I might have said that. Ready, Benzino, BY, Doc2. Man, I could... I mean, I could keep going on, but... Are these are these all Korean-Korean artists or, uh, or Asian-Asian artists or are there some Asian-Americans there too? These are all Korean or Korean-Americans. Oh, I see. Okay. Or, or like Korean diaspora. Yeah, so I think the takeaway that I want Asian Americans to get it from this is that, like, you really have to, I think, connect with like Asian culture, uh, like both like historical and pop culture, because this this idea of Asian Americanness is so new and so undefined that I think it's both our blessing and our curse that it's kind of upon us to create what it means. And I, I think the lesson that we talked about before with certain guys who feel very uncomfortable with the explosion of, of, of K-pop male stars, which don't jive with their idea of, of what it means to be like male and attractive, is that like Asian Americanness is kind of a, it's, it's, there's nothing there right now. And we do have to find something to build it, build it from. And I do think that you have to reach to, Asian culture, both the old and the new, as as the main basis for it. And I think if you are cut off from it, um, that you should try to reach, you should try to get back into it if it's not too late. Like I, I have some relatives who, who um, like they're a bit older, so the parents told deliberately did not teach their kids Korean because they thought it was a Korea was like a poor backwards country and they did not want anything to do with it. And I also had relatives who were very adamant about teaching it to them. And I don't think it's any surprise that the latter, I think, are living better lives now because they can seamlessly uh, transition between a, a lot of worlds. And I, I think I think those parents did not count on this kind of like rise of Asia, which I think is is, is very important. And yeah. I, I was going to say that I think it, I think it's a huge gift. I don't, I don't, yes, I certainly missed it. Um, 
but I think the opportunity that lays in front of us is great. It's once in a lifetime almost. Um, and I wouldn't say it's a completely blank slate either. I think there are kind of, there have been like small oasises, so to speak. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's now is the opportunity. Now is the, we have the chance to sort of create a cohesive identity by bringing all those pieces together. And uh, I say that I, I'm stoked about the opportunity. I'm stoked that, I don't know, maybe this is because I'm older and I'm more secure in who I am and what I'm about, but I'm really appreciating the opportunity to just allow, like explore on my own terms, right? Um, and as a as an entire community, we have that opportunity to explore our identity and decide for ourselves what we want it to be. And that's, that's fucking awesome. I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, the reason why I guess I was so drawn to K-pop in the first place, it's not because I, you know, really particularly enjoy pop music or anything, because I mostly like hip hop and rap. Um, but for some reason, I just like the question just got popped into my head at some point. It's like, why am I not having any access to, you know, Asian music? that shows people that, you know, look like me, but are not caricatures or not like minstrels or not any like negative representations. Why don't I have access to that culture? Um, so I, you know, almost went out of my way to find it. And now I have access to like BTS, Stray Kids, 17, you know, relatively effortlessly. Um, and these kind of images shape your imagination. And I think it's pretty important for you to find those representations and help them build that manifold in your mind so that you can, you know, constantly see yourself as something positive definitely definitely also is it just me or does net has netflix been producing and just kind of bringing a lot of asian language content out no for sure i think you can watch right i definitely know reply 1994 is on netflix yeah the, the other ones might be as well so all you listeners take my recommendation to heart and watch those dramas <laughs> now because they're all excellent uh, 1988 is the best, but they're all excellent. Have you have you seen the new like the Netflix original content? That's yeah, they fund K dramas now. No. I think I think they, they straight up just fund K dramas. Like Netflix has made their own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, one that I watched recently it, it is actually kind of like uh, it brings together some older popular actors and some newer actors. It's called uh, Bad Guys Vile City. I think that's a Netflix original. Uh, I didn't even realize until I was like halfway through it but um I kind of just thought it was because that's what I watch a lot of and so that's what Netflix is showing me but it seems like they're getting a lot of Asian language content and and producing it themselves which I'm totally down for uh just kind of unexpected yeah speaking of streaming services I used to subscribe to Vicky uh, yes. which, uh had a lot of the Asian dramas on it and one of the funniest things on it where if you turn on the comments so you would have people who can leave uh, comments at, at certain points of the drama. And they're all so funny, especially when it's like episode eight or nine. And, and from my research uh, and history of watching these, it, episode eight or nine is usually when like the first kiss happens. Oh my God, the comments that come out <laughs> that are so funny. Um, one of my favorite dramas, I Hear Your Voice, uh, I think had one of the best like kiss scenes i think it was like episode eight or nine and oh my god the comments on on vicky were just just out of this world and yeah <laughs> but by research what do you mean research like by research i just mean my my history of watching just tv watching it a lot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay okay just had to just had to know if you were going around like taking notes on 
when the first kiss was. <laughs> <laughs> I also I also want to say I find it very funny when I hear stories about certain uh, non Asian girls saying, "Oh, I have to have like a Korean guy uh, or something," because as in my selfish interest as it is to say that like Korean guys are so much better. I mean, honestly, like I don't think there's anything that special about us. So <laughs> give some love to like the Chinese guys and the Japanese guys and the Filipino guys to all to all the Asian guys. Like like I mean that just shows I think the power of of pop culture. Um, like because like when I was growing up, Korea was was nothing really to be. Even today, I'm almost kind of amused by the fact that people come to. It's like so many tourists come to like some place like Seoul because of what they see on the dramas. Because I mean, like especially growing up, I never got the sense that Seoul was a particularly beautiful city. I mean, I love it. I've, I lived there for two years. I think mm-hmm. it's vibrant and exciting, and I think it's it's like a miracle that it it exists. But in terms of just like <laughs> pure aesthetics, it's it's you know not that great if you think about it. Yeah. But the fact that so many people want to go there just because they they saw it in a movie or a TV show, <laughs> just like. I mean, I, I think media rep can be overrated sometimes, but it does show the power of it. It is. I mean, think about how many people go to New York because they because it was in a movie, right? Yeah. I mean, like New York has its you know has its reputation on its own right, but that's part of the draw, right? Or like coming to San Francisco. Any closing thoughts, Q? Yeah, I mean, I'm Viet, and I definitely think that the Hallyu has been a net positive for its influence on my life. I cannot complain about seeing people like asian people so, you know, can't can't complain at all do you think uh you think you'd ever just like carry around like a pocket korean flag you know just like uh yeah i don't know about that but <laughs> maybe maybe one day once korea you know takes over america after the great world war three whoa okay. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a that's a good great closing point <laughs> Um, yeah, it's getting kind of late. So yeah, great talking to you guys. Thanks for having us. Good talking to you. All right. Thanks for listening to us. This was the Escape from Plan A podcast on BTS and K-pop. You can read our articles at planamag.com and you can listen to our podcast. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Please subscribe. And if you like us, please give us five stars. Even leave a comment. We love reading comments. And we have uh, John, whom you heard on this podcast today. Every Friday, he releases Fuck Yeah Fridays, a great playlist of Asian and Asian American artists. Yeah, um, thanks for listening to us, and we'll see you next week. Bye, all. Bye.